0: Hi, friends. Today, I'm bringing you a very special episode with the Executive Director of Protect Our Winters, Mario Molina.
1: I'm always very hesitant of trying to preach how people should live Yeah. because I think that's a non-starter. My approach is do the best that you can. Mm-hmm. If we all were making those small changes, it would add up.
0: Protect Our Winters is a nonprofit organization that works to fight climate change through education and promoting nonpartisan legislation while asking us athletes to help get the word out. I was really excited to talk to Mario because besides being able to hang out with a friend who grew up like so many of us, wanting to make a legitimate difference. Also, I often find myself feeling frustrated and disheartened by the lack of action on climate change, especially now. Mario knows the issues better than most and still manages to be so optimistic about the future. We talk about how he's managed to stay so positive, relating back to his childhood, growing up in Guatemala during a civil war and falling in love with the outdoors. We talk about the paradox of being an adventure athlete, where some of the most passionate people about protecting the environment also happen to have large carbon footprints due to the amount of travel for our jobs. This is something I definitely struggled with. I wonder if you have also. We also talk about something I think we can all benefit from hearing right now, to strive for progress on the legislative level (laughs) rather than perfectionism on the individual level, and to use our voices and our votes to make the most difference. As you'll hear, this interview was actually recorded in 2018. Surprisingly, the things we discuss are even more relevant now than they were then. I hope you come away feeling inspired and uplifted by this conversation. Mario has a wonderful way with words and a refreshingly positive perspective that I think we can all benefit from right now okay so go ahead and introduce yourself and and your title or titles
1: <laughs> I'm Mario Molina I'm the executive director of Protect our Winters.
0: It's been really cool to get to know you a little bit and and also your passion. Um, So what are you the most excited about right now?
1: I'm really excited about the momentum that's building up amongst the outdoor community to be engaged in the issue and to actually get politically involved and use both... Our voice, our ambassadors, our athletes—you know, people like yourself—and uh, and the industry itself, our brands—are co- all coming together and uh, speaking up on the issue uh, when we're really under the most unprecedented attack on our environment, our climate, and a lot of our—you know—the values that make this community what it is—you know, conservation, respect for the land. Um, preservation, you know, all of these things that have just been being assailed. And I think it's really uh, pissing people off, but people are not just getting pissed off. They're getting involved and they're becoming active. And I think that's that's really exciting. And it's also very, very humbling to be in a position for our organization, for Protect Our Winters, to you know, to, to kind of try to steward steward that passion and turn it into purpose.
0: Beautiful. So, it- let's go back to the beginning what got you into this from from coming from Guatemala and did you always believe in it was this always a mission or um, has have you fallen into it
1: Ooh, how long do we have
0: (laughs) we have an hour (laughs)
1: Um, so I've spent a lot of my time like I've spent a lot of my life kind of standing between two worlds between science and outdoor recreation back and forth between academics and outdoor recreation um, I grew up in Guatemala as you said you know, and it was very very clear you know, to my mother and I I was raised by a single mother it was very very clear to her and uh, she instilled it very early on that if I wanted to get ahead because we weren't, you know, don't come from a well of family, it was going to have to be through academics and it was going to have to be through, you know, dedication uh, and getting a scholarship. And so when I, you know, when I finished school, I was offered a scholarship to either go to Austria or come to the U.S.
0: A scholarship in what?
1: Uh, a, scholar, a college scholarship to go st- to study science either in Austria or uh, or in the U.S. And so, in the scholarship in the U.S. was in Arkansas, and I was a little. I'd gone to an Austrian school from K through twelve, and was was ready for a little break from the rigors of European the European educational system.
0: So, were you bilingual? uh
1: trilingual. trilingual so english spanish and german mm-hmm. at what age uh 5
0: oh wow so did your mom teach you those or
1: my mom taught me english and uh learned german at school it was a by you know it was a trilingual school and then grew up speaking spanish so wow yeah um which is which is a whole different story because i think when you're when your brain is taught to function in three different ways from a very early age. Yeah. It's almost like you develop three different personalities.
0: And communication styles. Uh, and communication and styles
1: and thinking styles. And, and societies.
0: Because so, they think differently.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so to this day, there are things that I think about in German. There are things that I think about in English. And there are things that I think about in Spanish. And it depends on which one I'm thinking about, what what kind of personality you're going to get interesting
0: could you explain um, to I mean w- describe your German personality your American personality and and all of them like how, how are they different for people that are listening to this are probably mostly just American
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so you know I've lived I was, I was just talking to somebody about this the day before yesterday and uh, they were asking me how long I'd been in the U.S. for. And, I, you know, cumulatively over the course of my lifetime, I've been in the U.S. for almost 16 years. And I think I've learned how to operate, you know, in an American way with an American culture. But, you know, back home, we're just a lot more explosive and passionate and... Mm-hmm. You know and m- maybe uberly excitable uh, when we get into you know conversations or you know I don't want to call them arguments but even passionate conversation sure. and I've n- realized that you know there's a lot more there are a m- lot more norms in the way that w- you know w- we communicate in you know as Americans I became an American this year so I'm gonna use that term uh, as Americans um, then than we would back home where it's you know, a lot a lot louder let's say uh and then what i really appreciate about having a bit of background in you know in in german and having gone through a lot of my science training in german in, in you know in k through 12 is that it's a very mechanical thoughtful language and so you can actually string together very complex concepts uh in in german so a lot of german words are actually compound words and you string those together into like one long thought, whereas I find that in English you express one expresses himself in better, in shorter, more concise statements. Would
0: you say that? I've always wondered. It, would you say that that's one reason why Germany seems to be so far ahead of us uh, in so many environmental efficiencies, and um, it's just the norm to take a better care of the environment there, or not? Mm.
1: I think it might play a role in their engineering prowess and the way that they approach problems. Uh, the current energy that's happening in Ger- in Germany, the especially the renewable, you know, the push for renewables, I think is is a result of a, a, a German realization shortly after World War II mm-hmm. of needing to reshape the society and how culture. Approaches politics, so I strongly believe that politics follow culture, mm-hmm. uh, and you it's
0: know, like a it's a fact.
1: <laughs> thank you, <laughs> thank you, and so you know, and and so and if you trace back the Energiewende, it really goes back to you know a very grassroots movement in a very small town in Germany against uh, having a nuclear plant in their backyard and wanting to have solar instead. And that was really the like the the spark that ignited what became the largest renew energy transformation transformation of an energy system in the world that we have seen. Uh, and it's brought nothing but benefits to Germany. Even though they still have pretty large um a, a pretty large percentage of their energy matrix that's being fed by coal. The, the amount of the rapid rate of transformation from previously to now in terms of how much of it is still is, is actually renewables now is unprecedented and hopefully we'll just see that continue and it's spreading across Europe
0: I love it. What have you learned from looking at mm. Germany for example?
1: Yeah well you know if you look at you know you look at Germany and you think about you know you trace the the history of the Energiewende back it's the grassroots the grassroots started it you look at you know most and you look at most significant political change and it has indiscriminately always started with with people <laughs> with the people and in 2010 i don't know if you remember but the us was about to pass uh, a the cap and trade bill you know the waxman markey bill and everybody thought it was a done deal it was you know it was going to get through you know a, a, you know, quote unquote climate friendly administration had just come in, come on board. And a lot of the environmental organizations were caught up in the politics of DC and inside the beltway negotiations in order to try to get this done. And they forgot, you know, they said, let's go. And then just forgot to bring the people along mm. to where there was not, a, you know, there was not a grassroots movement that was going to hold the decision makers accountable for you know, for following you know,
0: through with for the following government.
1: through with it, and even hold the organizations that were pushing for this accountable for following through with it, and it didn't succeed. It got you know, it got beat up first, and compromises were made, and finally, you know, and ultimately, it didn't pass. That was under you know, uh, you know pretty progressively minded you know Senate and uh, and White House. So we we can't rely. What I've I think what I have learned you know, from growing up in Guatemala after the Civil War, during and after the Civil War, from doing a lot of international work in my professional career, uh, from living here for for a cumulative almost 20 years, is that we can't rely on political leaders to lead. Political leaders follow. Political leaders will follow what the people say. And the challenge that we have is making sure that our voices are heard and making sure that we are speaking up. And you know, something that gives me a lot of hope is the you know, the millennial generation is the largest, most powerful political force to awaken in this country since the 1950s. Uh, there are over 100 million voting age millennials, and so far we have only seen a fraction of them engage in the political process.
0: Right? Are they? Did they come out?
1: They they haven't in the force that. We need them too. They do you know what the percentage
0: speech. was for the th- last
1: election? I think the last and don't quote me on this one, but I think the last election was somewhere around 20%. Wow. You know, so it's relatively low. As I've been trying to explain, what POW's trying to do, here. You know, we're a relatively small organization uh, compared to a lot of the but big. But you have a
0: big voice because you've utilized big all these influencers.
1: Well, you know, you know, people like yourself have helped us. You know, have helped us do this. It's a big voice, and the other piece is we speak to you know we speak very much to the outdoor sports community and the snow sports uh, community and when you think about the fact that there were 25 million people between 2015 and 2016 the winter of 2015 to 2016 who participated in outdoor sports recreation Uh, we don't need all 25 million we only need several dozen thousand people to come out and vote in some strategic places
0: that's a really good point
1: point. and so and if it's
0: just these listeners and then these listeners asking a few friends that's all we need and it's so simple now
1: exactly Whoever's whoever's listening register to vote pledge to vote and then get 10 of your friends to vote to do the same and get 10 of their friends to do the mm-hmm. same and we've got this it's especially when you think about the fact that elections are now being won and lost at the margins and mm-hmm. You know, you're not seeing, especially in, you know, Senate and House elections. You're not seeing the, like these landslide changes. Even the presidential election, it was decided over 80,000 votes in, you know, three states and a handful of counties or mm-hmm. voting, uh, or, or districts, right? You, know, you think about Pennsylvania. I think it was 800 votes. You think about Alabama. It was a few thousand votes. And
0: it's not always a presidency anymore.
1: No, and it's not just the presidency. You know, so in the midterms, you think about you know the Pens- you know Pennsylvania special election. So elections are really being won or lost at the margins. And if the outdoor community can mobilize its voice and its numbers and its economic power, uh, we don't need to get. You know, all 25 million. We don't need to get the 190 million people that recreate outside. And this is really a nonpartisan issue. It's not Mm -hmm. vote Democrat or Republican. You know, vote for people who are for climate action. You know, a lot of the original, the original idea of a market solution to climate change or one, you know, market approach to climate change being, you know, taxation of the externality, you know, the carbon tax was actually a conservative idea it came from conservatives there's
0: is that what we're pushing through so y- let's yeah can you explain the carbon tax and that being the solution that that we think is the answer for now and mm-hmm. then and then which political what political action to take and then i have a final <laughs> question y- why policy over the other means of transformation
1: love it L- love that last one kind of want to jump into that last one but i'll Fine, tackle the it. first but okay. i'll tackle the first <laughs> two um, so, carbon tax is not a silver bullet. There is not say that
0: again. It's not a what?
1: A silver bullet. Okay. There is not a silver bullet to climate change. It's you know I, I like to say you know th- this is the time that I spent in Arkansas coming through, but it's uh, it's it ain't a silver bullet. It's a silver buckshot. uh We need a we need a whole slew. And for all
0: that don't know what a bullet is versus a buckshot, <laughs> a buckshot sprays all over.
1: <laughs> that's right,
0: <laughs> and that you can be a real bad shot. And if you use buckshot, you can still probably hit the target.
1: That's, you just right. Spray. that's right. That's <laughs> right.
0: But we're not going to talk about guns right now because we're just a, not. Oh,
1: that's a whole other. Uh, that's a whole other issue. But yeah, so and then what I mean by that is that no, not a single solution is going to get us where we need to be. Mm-hmm. You know, we need efficiency. We need energy efficiency. We need carbon pricing. We need an increase in renewables. We need, you know, electrification of the transport fleet, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
0: Electrification of the transfer fleet.
1: So we need electric vehicles and uh-huh, low, okay. yeah. Thanks and we for need bringing it
0: down to my and level. And electric.
1: <laughs> Sorry, I get. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we need, you know, we need electric cars. We need electric trains, and those all need to be being charged by renewable energy sources. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you do that, you don't only have you don't only have electric vehicles. You also have a mobile storage fleet because you can store that energy. For the solar energy that you charge your car with when the sun is shining, you can actually take to your house and discharge at night when the sun's not shining from the battery that you have in your cars. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, actually, out of all places, Houston's doing a great job at this already, you know? uh, Houston, Texas. So you know, what I, so going back to the question, we need, to, we need a lot of things. We need to, for a lot of things to happen. But one of the key components is what economists call internalizing the externality for a very very long time
0: internalizing the externality mm-hmm.
1: so for a very and I'll explain what I mean by that for a very very long time as a society we have accepted the fact that there is a cost to getting rid of our waste mm-hmm. you know when we think about the tragedy of the commons in england and we think about you know cleaning up the pollution you know there as a, as, a, as a civilization we have accepted the fact that if we are going to produce waste there's going to be a cost to getting rid of it we can't wait for the perfect solution to figure out how do we address the problem that we have now. Kind of like, kind of like triage or first aid, right? Like stop the bleeding first. Fair enough. Uh, you know, stop the hemorrhage, and you know, and as a society, we've accepted that it's unacceptable, uh, or we've agreed that it's unacceptable to. Not figure out a way to get rid of our waste and at least do the best that we can to recycle, process it, et cetera. We're doing the same thing with our atmosphere. Mm -hmm. We are dumping 110 million tons of carbon dioxide or equivalent pollution into our atmosphere every day. And nobody's paying for it. There's no,
0: Oh, here, now I understand what you're saying. There's
1: no cost. It's it's become an external cost. We're not incorporating it into the economy. Mm -hmm. And so we're saying, it's okay to do this. Just go out and dump it how you know we would not accept that if people if it was acceptable for you know a, for a large fossil fuel corporation to drive to the middle of a park and dump their waste in the middle of a park people would be outraged right. that would not be tolerated but, but that's exactly what we're doing with our air
0: but because you can't necessarily see it
1: you can't see it you mm-hmm. can't smell it mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but you can measure it. you can mm-hmm. definitely measure it, and we have been measuring it it 's been going up it's been going up about you know at forty percent since the industrial revolution. It continues to go up We're about you know four hundred you know four hundred and nineteen four hundred and twenty p- parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere uh which is far above what scientists consider to be safe in terms of maintaining the stability of the seasons and the weather patterns and all of the things that you know that depend on it. So when I go, so going back to your question in terms of, you know, policy and what what carbon tax, carbon tax is one of the first initial steps, putting a price on carbon, whether it's a tax, whether it's cap and trade, whatever it might be, one of the initial steps to bring that cost back into the economy. And then you can incentivize renewable energy and research, you can incentivize, uh, the deployment of deployment of renewables. You can, you know, there's all kinds of things that you can do to actually get the machine going on a low emissions trajectory. So we won't get that passed at the federal level anytime soon. But you know, Washington State, Governor Jay Inslee was just talking here at Mountain Film the day before yesterday. He's been a champion of getting a carbon pri- uh, pu- a price put in carbon in Washington State. There's a ballot initiative. Uh, coming up this year there is a plan in Vermont called the SX plan um, to, to do that the same thing in Vermont you know so California has a, a price on carbon and we've seen huge benefits from it so overall you know it makes good economic sense and that's one of the policies that we can that we can put into place you know amongst a slew of others I you know I want to never say oh once we put a carbon tax Place, gonna fix all the problems we're, right we're done no mm-hmm. that's that gets us to the start line exactly yeah and then we need to incorporate efficiency we need to incorporate renewables we need to incorporate reduction and then you know about a personal level you know we, we do need you know we do need to change some habits but along those lines you were talking uh you, know, you said something about lifestyle and, and travel right you were asking that question as um,
0: well. actually i was asking about why why, why have policy? you guys chose to go to policy but but i'd love to talk about that too obviously mm-hmm. us as as athletes struggle all the time with our lifestyle versus what we are preaching and i i have personally as well everything i do um admittedly has it, i can't get away from from fossil fuels Whether it's, there's, you know, there are no electric cars that can handle driving a pass in negative degree weather and to the travel that we do for our jobs. And, and I know what a hypocrite I am. And I think a lot of us athletes uh, recognize that and have a hard time preaching things that, that we can't we can't necessarily <clears throat> follow through on as much as we'd like to. So, you know, what do you say to that to people that are feeling the same way, that we're m- as much a part of the problem as we are <laughs> the solution?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I don't think you're as much a part of the problem as you are of the solution. We are all a part of the problem. So just on average, breathing. the mm-hmm. average, yeah. I mean, the average American consumes just by living in this country consumes at least three or four times more than the average person living in the rest of the world, uh, at least in the non-industrialized, non-industrialized right. world. So, for example, where I come from, you know, the, the average carbon footprint for a, a person in Guatemala I think is something like two point five tons of carbon dioxide per year. Um, you yeah, know, here in the U.S., it's about twenty four.
0: Yeah, I did my uh, carbon footprint. It's ugly.
1: And so, well, what was your carbon footprint?
0: Uh, off the top of my head, I I can't remember right now, but it was, it was. It was more than the average. Oh. It was higher than the average for the amount of time that I travel. And and I looked into, okay, well, I'm going to offset it by planting trees. And then I looked into um, the damage that a tree does even when it dies. <laughs> even after a lifetime of of swallowing up carbon, there was no easy, easy solution.
1: No, there's no perfect solution. But let me put it into perspective. Let's, um, I don't, you know, I don't know what your carbon footprint was, but... Uh, let's wh- use what.
0: What did you say was the average?
1: At about twenty-four.
0: Okay, um, yeah, I, I I shouldn't say because I don't exactly yeah. remember. But I was astounded.
1: Well, let's it put it this higher. way. Let's put it this way. One of the highest carbon footprints ex- expeditions that we actually recently measured uh, was an expedition to Everest by you know uh, on, on a twelve-passenger plane. So basically, it wasn't a commercial flight you know the members of the expedition flew on a 12 you know 12 passenger jet to china and then you know summited everest came back you know by plane you know by jet plane cetera. that's about like about as carbon intensive as you can make an expedition mm-hmm. not i don't and i don't think we should endorse that or recommend that everybody do something like that and that expeditions carbon footprint was about 120 tons metric uh, metric tons mm-hmm. of carbon dioxide it's massive it's big for sure um you know, the human-powered expedition, you know, to Anwar was about eight. You know, a recent uh, expedition by Hilary O'Neill and mm-hmm. Kit, we did the measurements. It was probably about, about eight. We haven't done the, the measurement uh, since they got back, but the estimate was about eight. So that kind of gives you a range, right? Eight to 115. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, eight doesn't sound as that much, but if you think about it, it's a third of the average American's carbon footprint. Well, that you know, and in a, it's it, in a it's week. for
0: recreation, right? It's not that and this is so, what I struggle with in myself is um, it's one thing if you did it because to feed your family. But in our world, it's in some ways for fun or personal pleasure hmm. or sometimes, that's where I struggle with it.
1: Sometimes for fun. You know, sometimes it's your job. Well, it you know, is our and we job. All, and we all live in a carbon-intensive society. And people who are flying from L.A. to New York, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera, you know, they, you know, we all live in a carbon-intensive society. Nobody's perfect. But here's where I want to put it into perspective. The Clean Power Plan, which was the EPA's last administration, you know, the EPA's plan to reduce carbon emissions from cold-fired power plants, you know, it was it meant to reduce carbon emissions by 30%. Uh, by by 2030 from coal-fired power plants the average of the top 10 coal-fired power plants in the US on average they emit about 200 million sure tons of carbon dioxide per year 200 million
0: right but that's so easy when to you point ask fingers when we are still ingesting well but think
1: about this when when so when you ask about th- talking about policy why focus on policy, or you know, or behavior change, or or our voice? That single piece of policy, mm. that single piece of policy, would have by 2030 eliminated 60 million 60 million tons of carbon dioxide per year.
0: Okay, I get what you're saying.
1: Right, mm-hmm. and so yes, we should all be living the best lifestyle that we can. Mm-hmm. Yes, if we can switch to electric vehicles, those you know, anyone that can. We should switch to electric vehicles. If you can source more renewable energy from your, you know, from your provider wherever you live, we should absolutely do that. Uh, you know, if if you don't feel like you absolutely depend on meat to live on like even cutting your meat consumption by 20 percent can have a h- make a huge difference actually yeah, great switching point. to a plant switching to a plant-based diet i just saw this statistic in one of the films here switching to a plant-based diet can actually reduce more of your carbon footprint than mm-hmm. driving an electric vehicle on average yeah so there's all project these drawdown
0: has uh, amazing solutions empowering girls actually is the number six reason yeah or h- greatest way to Im- to help the environment. Yeah. Um, so there's lots of ways, and and you bring up a good point. Um, those of us that are like, well, how could I speak for something that I I'm not necessarily being the best at uh, personally, but when you put it like that, well, if we have if we can truly have an impact on policy, it's going to have a greater impact than we could ever have as individuals.
1: Exactly. Gotcha. That's and that's what I'm getting at. So if we can harness the political. If we can harness the public will and the political power Mm -hmm. of all of us that realize, hey, we're not living perfectly, but we want progress above perfection. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love
0: that. Progress ahead of perfection. Right. That's something I could learn.
1: (laughs) Right. And so... Um. You know, and stop pointing fingers. You know, I see it on. I see it on, on you y- all social media. Oh yeah. athlete Social media. We get crushed. You know, I see it. You know, I. I was actually just looking at a comment and, on the pow, mm-hmm.
0: uh,
1: on the pow uh, feed, etc. And it's if we could stop pointing fingers. It, at It's each such other a
0: waste of energy to point fingers.
1: And actually mobilize towards systemic, large-scale change. What we want to achieve is we want a complete transformation of the entire energy system from extraction to distribution to consumption. That's what we actually need. And yes, we should live, again, we should walk the talk, we should live our values as best as we can. But even if we all did that, it's not going to have the impact that we need in the timeline that we have without the large-scale policy change.
0: Thank you. So for anyone... (laughs) Could you just say that also in... um English. <laughs> uh, so <clears throat> if if we could use all the power that we have, yes, we are all imperfect. Check. If we could use the power that we do have to change policy, we would have a far greater impact than we will ever have on a personal level. So what you're saying is I could get a monster truck and I could get a jet boat <laughs> And get a, a airplane myself, and if I could still somehow impact policy i would I would have more impact than um than all the carbon I could put in the air uh,
1: <laughs> factually true <laughs> you would then also have to sleep with yourself at
0: that. <laughs> i I do right now and <laughs> and I struggle with it i I really do uh, you know but, with all the travel and yeah, um, yeah,
1: yeah, but it's you know we we do the best that we can that's that's the best that we, the, by definition, the best that we can do is the best that we can. Mm-hmm. And we live in a carbon intensive society, and a lot of us have jobs that require having a higher carbon footprint than we would otherwise. Um, but that is a small part of the problem. You know, all of your, all the travel of all of POW athletes combined. Is but a drop in the bucket when you think about 200 million tons of carbon dioxide by uh, you know one of the top ten coal-fired power plants, mm-hmm. and you know some people would argue, well, we still need coal in order to generate electricity, and we need you know there's a whole argument going on like, well, we, we need it for grid stability, etc., mm-hmm. etc., cetera, et cetera. and that is you know true to a certain extent. But a lot of this actually has to do with the business model that the utilities and a lot of the uh, the energy uh, uh, industry is using,
0: and and those this. that are paying for it. If yeah. we demanded something different, it would it would come to the surface. And it's
1: worked. And, and it we, exists. And we've seen it. And we have seen it work. Solar is now cheaper than coal in most markets around but the I've world. Solar energy is cheaper than coal in most markets around the world. But I've heard it's
0: hard to maintain and an expensive uh, to build.
1: It's well. It's definitely not more expensive to build than you know per megawatt of energy over the lifetime of a project. It's not more expensive than coal.
0: I just want to bring up all of the the haters. You know, let's 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 think about. It. Like, can you bring up all the things you've heard and and argue them here as far as uh, the naysaying? Whew. I know. We're gonna I know. be here for a while. Well, I mean, just the biggest ones. Let's say because for all of the.
1: Well, I'll tell you I'll tell you what the what the line is that we're hearing coming out of the administration right now. So, you know, we've got, you know, an EPA administrator who oh, man. questions questions the science behind climate change. Ninety eight percent of EPA
0: Environmental Protection Agency, the leader of it. <laughs> correct. Who oh, sued the Environmental the
1: Protection Agency before he came on board. Um who, who questions climate science you have to make good policy decisions based on science a man who does not he's invested
0: it, in the alternative
1: a man who's not who does not believe the science is not really qualified to make policy decisions uh, so he's rolling back all kinds of standards he, um, because the argument is that it's hurting the american economy right That the, all these regulations right. are hurting the american economy right. well the argument was you
0: mean in loo- lost jobs for coal plants specifically, oh, he's or, or just about all
1: manufacturing, okay. you know, the ability of business, you know, the ability of a lot of business to do, you know, to, to do the work. You know, unfortunately, coal jobs are being lost
0: because they're not uh, economic anymore, because
1: they're not economic. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, you know, it's it has to do with the market, it has it, it doesn't have to do with, you know, the last administration's regulations, they're just so not
0: efficient as the, they were. Yeah,
1: It's not, we're it's evolving. Not, Yeah, it's not efficient. Actually, the coal market right now is, you know, stuff that's being shipped. So, number one argument, it's the economics, right? Um, So, it's not economical. What we've seen is we've seen a 99% decrease in the cost of photovoltaics over the last four decades. Uh, We see wind is more competitive than even natural gas in, uh, I think, all markets in the United States where it's a, where it's available, awesome. solar is more com- is competitive, more competitive than coal in all markets. It's not quite as competitive as natural gas yet in in some markets, but it's moving in that it's moving in that direction. Uh, countries that have adopted renewable energy, nobody would say that switching over to renewable energy has crippled the German economy. Mm-hmm. No one would say that it's crippled the Swedish economy. No one would say that it's crippled the Norwegian economy. All of these countries that are making that are making the switch. Uh, so the the challenge is not the, the market economics. The challenge is the political economics. And it's the fact that, you know, the fossil fuel industries are pouring, you know, billions, literally billions literally of dollars billions. to keep their industry alive. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we're not only talking about the extraction of the fuels. We're talking about the transport. We're talking about the retail we're talking about all the financial services so it's the a massive system f-
0: in place it's a system in place <laughs> mm-hmm. and
1: that's why earlier i was saying you know when you asked me to translate back to english mm-hmm. uh, but that's the system that i'm talking about when we say we need to transform the, the entire, entire way that we source distribute and consume energy um so that's you know one of the that's one of the arguments another argument is that you still need coal for base load. Base load is the amount of electricity that has to flow through the grid at any given point in time to make sure that the lights are always on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? And so and the argument is... As well, well
0: as, the, as the backup systems.
1: As the backup systems. And so and the argument is, well, the sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't always blow. And so we have to keep coal going uh, I- because... And, and these
0: alternative and energies, you know, if they don't come through, you have to have that backup system.
1: And then if they don't come through, you have to have that backup system. Well, the reality is that battery storage is getting far more economical it's following kind of like the same descent cost curve that solar did and uh and so now you can have utility scale storage for both solar and wind you know again you can by if you have electric vehicles you can actually store energy in electric vehicles Uh, if you uh, in addition to that you can have you know Uh, optimization of the grid, like a smarter grid, investment in in making the grid smarter so it distributes energy better. These are technological problems. They are not mathematical barriers to a solution. And so to me, what we're looking at is really uh, a tension between the past and the future. And we need to make a decision as a society of what does our vision of the future look like? Is it, are we going to drag the technologies and the ways of thinking from 50, 60 mm-hmm. years ago mm-hmm. into the 21st, 22nd century? Or are we going to embrace innovation and, uh, and economies mm-hmm. that are both sustainable, clean, and economic? And Great
0: point. Uh, speaking of that, have, have what are your thoughts on the blockchain?
1: Uh. <laughs>
0: Because I think this is uh, this new system that has come absolutely not from looking backwards, but absolutely from the alternative and the future and uh, and community. I, I'm just curious if you see that uh, being utilized for solutions in the future in uh, environmental.
1: Hmm. Uh, my immediate thoughts on the blockchain is I wish I'd bought some <laughs> some, Bitcoin. <laughs> some Bitcoin years ago. Don't we um, all? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. It's, you know I think it's, a, it's another huge experiment in this you know, integrated world that, that we're living in. I do know that um, as we move, I'll make that connection back. As we move more and more systems online and we need the energy to power the servers that store these systems, mm-hmm. we need to make sure that that energy is sustainable if we want those systems to be sustainable in the long term as well good point uh, you know service are you know service consume massive amounts of energy and if we're going to move all of this you know to you know, an online to an online system if we want to move the entire economy to an online system let's make sure that both that economy and the energy that supports it are are Clean. sustainable in the long term mm-hmm. um, where it's going I have no idea
0: where, where would your ultimate vision that it goes you know what would you like to see happen
1: mm-hmm. yeah I think in um one of one of my favorite movies you know the last decade was a uh, fight club mm, yep. and you know you've got tyler durden talking about it. in the world that i see you know we're climbing vines and hunting deer in the streets of new york or something mm-hmm. along those lines that's not i don't think that's a realistic vision uh, but in the world that in in the world that we see at least in the world that we see at PAL, you know we collaborate with the rest of the world to stem the impacts of climate change by putting a price on carbon. We embrace renewable energy, and those renewable energies power an electric feed of transportation that still allows us to get to the crag and to go to the ski hill and you know any of the places that we want to uh, without burning fossil fuels. And our appetite for those fossil fuels stops putting pressure on our public lands.
0: Speaking of that, like how can we as athletes... Um, try to embrace those news new ways of thinking being in the current the way it is right i know that uh a couple guys did some expeditions with an electric car last year um any other ideas or focuses that we could be thinking of being that we are leaders um and that the way it stands now travel is part of our job and traveling far and wide um So how can we start to change as individuals also to to lead the pack?
1: Yeah, well, maybe, you know, it can be sometimes as much as making small decisions. Right. So again, back to that idea of progress over perfection and taking things one step at a time, Uh, you know, depending on everyone's individual situation, maybe you know you don't take that one trip to Europe that year
0: I I did I did that this Uh, year I didn't take that one trip to Japan and it uh, was my experiment of feeling seeing if I felt like it was a service and if it it was an experiment um (laughs) and then my sponsor asked me to take another trip to Africa (laughs) so and those are the kinds you you can't choose not to do because that's part of your job Um, so maybe you know
1: you you turn down the ones that you can and you mm -hmm. take the ones that you can't Mm -hmm. um Maybe you ask your sponsor to offset your travel as mm-hmm. part of your. Uh, as I've part done of your that deal. personally. Right. Mm-hmm. So you ask your sponsor to offset your travel. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what your diet is, but you know, maybe you make some changes to your lifestyle. Yeah, I've whether tried be, that one too. Would it be? Yeah. But I couldn't. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah, that's a tough one for me. I but I've loved the the rainforest so. so much for my whole life, and I've I've tried multiple times to. To go vegan, and mm. I couldn't perform at the level that I, I was used mm. to.
1: And so maybe and maybe it's not a, a full transformation. Maybe you just you know cut it a couple of times a week. Yeah, fair you know, enough. I don't think that I, I'm always very hesitant of trying to preach how people should live. Yeah. Because I d- think that's a non-starter. And so the my approach is do the best that you can. Mm-hmm and there are there's so many ways that we can improve mm-hmm. that it's almost as a menu and the worst thing that we can do is nothing nothing exactly you know? so you know uh, kind of the, you know one of the principles that we're working with on our pal it's you know action over apathy and action over complacency so just because you can't be perfect doesn't mean that you're not going to do anything because doing nothing is the worst thing that you can do. Mm -hmm. And so that's inaction is worse than anything else. Mm -hmm. Right. And so making those small changes where you are with what you, where you are with what you have Mm -hmm. as you can, um, you know, in looking at it, you know, looking at it in the long term, And if we all were making those small changes, it would add up. Like if we all consumed 5% less energy, you know, which is not hard to do, you know, that would, that would add up. And so I think that that's one thing, but to us, the most powerful thing that all of you as athletes can do is to help build that political will and that that public will and that political force for that, you know, those big policy changes that, you know, that we keep going back to can, that can really make the difference. That's a
0: great point. Yeah. I know myself, I've become more active because I'm starting to recognize how I can't wait to be perfect. Uh, it It is so urgent that we d- we act now and and i 've also been so disappointed in politics and in the government that I thought originally I thought that 's also not a solution hmm. um, the, and and the, you guys have actually have actually helped me believe that in fact we can make a difference through policy and through our voices
1: yeah so let me um something there's there th- kind of catches me and we would be naive if we weren't disappointed in our politicians you know, well there's
0: and in the whole system lot to that be is broken
1: there's a lot to be disappointed in a politicians but we can't be disappointed in democracy we can't give up on the ideal of democracy I grew up in a country where we experienced three, four dictatorships in a row, mm. um, and where your vote truly didn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, or there wasn't even the opportunity to vote.
0: Mm-hmm. Good point.
1: And. We're that not, puts
0: it into perspective, for sure.
1: And we're not there yet in this country. We are not there yet. And
0: so we need to fight for what we do have.
1: Inst- yeah, yeah. 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 The institutions of democracy are under incredible stress.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for bringing that up. Because it's. you're right. Without that perspective, it is easy to just dismiss it and, and, and take it for granted what we still do have.
1: Yeah. And you know the institutions of democracy are under incredible stress. hmm But so far, they're still holding. Mm-hmm. And they will be eroded once people give up hope in the democratic process. The more
0: apathy w- will absolutely yeah. <laughs> erode what we do have. I mean,
1: money in politics, it's a huge problem. Mm-hmm. We all agree with that. But where is that money going? Most of that money is actually going in adver- towards advertising and towards... And swaying the people. Yeah. I mean, the whole scandal with like Facebook and everything that happened on social media. and It shows you know, what power we do have. It sh- you know, they weren't, yes. What were they targeting? They were targeting voters.
0: Exactly. Because the voters do have power, more exactly. power than we think. Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. Thank you. I needed to hear that. <laughs>
1: And so we we have to we have to believe in the power of the vote while the democratic system is still in place and we have to reinforce the democratic process by engaging and by voting. You know, and we'll be disappointed in the results many you know, many times we'll be disappointed in the results and many times we'll be disappointed in the politicians that are elected through that process. But ultimately we can't give up on the process. You know, the one of the great you know, as I said earlier, like I, you know, I became an American citizen this year, you know, after living in this country on and off for twenty years, m- documented the whole time. <laughs> um, but um, you know, and and you have to, you know, you have to study up on your civics and you have to study up on American history, and I find it fascinating regardless. And you know, you read a little bit about what was going on in the Republic at Jefferson's time. You know, and John Quincy Adams was already talking about the division of parties and how people were loyal to party. Like these divisions, are not new. Mm-hmm. You know, th- along p- party lines, the the negative rhetoric and you know the vitriol of it is probably new, and the, and the, a lot of the loss of de- decency in the in the in the rhetoric is new. But it is healthy to have different opinions. It is definitely it's healthy to have a to have a debate. Not everyone should agree. You know, all the time. If you are if, it's, if something is worth discussing, it's probably going to ar- create some conflict. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, we should all agree on the democratic process and the importance and the value of the democratic process.
0: Thanks. Thanks for that. Tell me more about what you've learned from living outside of the US and maybe some of some of the value we don't even necessarily see um, in living here and, and coming from here.
1: Uh yeah, the privilege. Well, for uh for your listeners who can't see where we're sitting mm. i think <laughs> you know to me one of the great values of living in this country is the landscape like ultimately america is you know the mountains and the plains and you know the coastlines that's what we're you know that's we're fighting know, to protect that's what we're fighting to protect mm-hmm. you know and you when you look out and you look at snow-covered peaks and you think about wow, th- what a privilege it is to be able to go into these peaks and not worry about you
0: know. So is it not like that in Guatemala? Conflict. Like uh, I know that the national parks, for example, those don't exist in other countries, and we we and our our public lands don't exist elsewhere, and we just assume that they're.
1: Yeah, um, there are national there are national parks, but they're not so embedded into the cultural psyche as to represent part of the part of the identity of the country so Mm -hmm. um if i can if i can get into a into a short story um but when i was growing up you know when i was a teenager growing up in guatemala there was a civil war going on and most of my peers you know were taught to stay inside or move from you know a walled in you know a, a walled in neighborhood to a walled in school, maybe to the mall, and a lot of my you know a lot of my friends um you know who, who were you know probably a, a bit better off than we were uh, than my family was had bodyguards that would be at the mall wow. you know looking after them, and then from there go to like their second home at the beach you know and in their suburbans et cetera and um they didn't know it but they were being deprived of freedom Mm. because they so valued security and their personal safety that without even knowing they had given up freedom, you know, and, you know, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't have, I'm just saying that was the reality of it, you know, for a certain level of protection, they were willing to give up certain freedoms and the ability to move around freely. Um, My upbringing was a little bit different because, you know, I was raised by, you know, a single mother who was, you know, who was working as as well. So I had a lot of freedom from the time that I was very young. And what I ended up doing is I would take, you know, chicken buses out into the countryside. And I would go, and I got to really know the country uh, and people outside of this little bubble that my peers were moving in. And, you know, got to see, you know, not only the, you know, the, the other cultures that we were living, you know, that we were living amongst, like, you know, the indigenous cultures in, in Guatemala, but also a lot of the landscape. Um, and, you know, I, I would say I was actually able to fall in love with the, my country. I was able to fall in love with my country because I was able to experience Explore it. the landscape of mm-hmm. my country. And so I love, you know, I love my home country. But a lot of people from, you know, a lot of my peers that I grew up with did not really have a sense of national identity because they were being shuffled from home where they were exposed to cable tv and whatever we were getting from the u.s to shopping malls where you know you had american products or you know european products wherever it was and from there to second homes and then maybe trips to miami or you know or trips to texas wherever it was and that that level of you know identification with the land that they were growing up in was actually missing wow. you know and I feel that you know something that I've learned that I hope this country does not lose is that same sense of identity with the landscapes that we belong to
0: and freedom to go explore those and landscapes. freedom
1: to go explore them mm-hmm. in a know? safe way in a safe mm-hmm. way
0: so I've done so many uh, interviews now where uh, nature is not safe uh, you know a lot of places a lot of even national parks sometimes that are close to cities are not necessarily safe for women particularly to go out and mm-hmm. alone and I never even considered that mm-hmm. um, and what a privilege it is to, to have those places I mean let's just think about it for parks in general mm-hmm. uh, in cities or nearby cities are usually housing the homeless um, and 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 people that are in some cases unsafe to be around so that's another one that's a whole nother can of worms that um uh it's these podcasts that have opened me up to considering that i just took for granted
1: yeah yeah absolutely and and that's a you know and that and that's a tough one and that's parks that are near you know high risk areas um you know that's that, that, that that's a tough one to tackle, and that's why I do believe that it's so important that we maintain large swaths of land mm-hmm. that are ex- economically accessible to all of the population. You know? And
0: we need, and we need a, a force to manage them. And as we well. need,
1: yeah, and we yeah. need a force to management. And you know, the other piece is that this recent debate over public lands, you know, we the dot that a lot, you know, that I th- still think you know we need to connect is that the 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 climate fight you know i don't want to call it the fight but you know argument the the the, the <laughs> you know the climate challenge um and the public lands debate are inextricably linked
0: oh they all are
1: you know, so
0: everything comes back to climate
1: you know when you know when you when you look at what what did Anwar get opened up for? Like, Mm -hmm. what was the big debate over Anwar? It's for oil extraction. Mm -hmm. When you look at Escalante, like what is, what's what's happening at Escalante? Mm -hmm. Well, it's, you know, now it's open for coal extraction. Mm -hmm. When you look at bear sears, you know, it's uranium and coal. You know, so we go, we go back to like,
0: and it starts there, but then it becomes all of our, not all of our wild places.
1: And then it becomes all of the, for wild, one reason or another, All of the it's whether it's, it's to extraction. house the humans
0: mm-hmm. or it's for extractions or for all, for the resources and growing up in the mountains and, um, and seeing how, how big it, it, and yep. it seems th- those places are becoming less and less. I'm sorry. I'm so tired now, yeah. <laughs> but you're absolutely correct. And uh, with our last time, I'd love for you to share any stories uh, of success. I know that, um, our protect our winters athletes are visiting schools and, um, I'd love to hear some of the stories coming out of there or, or any other political wins that we're having by showing up, um, even imperfect as we are.
1: Yeah, for sure. So at the state and local level, there's a lot of wins. So one of the, uh, one of the sto- recent stories that gives me a lot of hope was the visit that Jesse Diggins and Ariel Gold and mm-hmm. the three other Olympians made recently made to DC to brief uh, Congress on it and um, meeting with one of the House representatives uh, who had previously been a you know a climate skeptic you know uh, they you know the athletes I think it was Jesse I mean, don't quote me on that but I think it was Jesse Diggins challenged him on climate and he said well I'm thinking about joining the climate solutions caucus and she pushed him and it's like well are you going to
0: can you explain what that is because that's a beautiful yeah
1: the climate solutions caucus is a bipartisan group basically anytime another member joins uh if there has to be a member from the other party that joins as well so people join in sets of two so the, the the caucus grows in sets of two with one member from each party every time i love that uh, yeah it's fantastic it's a it's a fantastic model and so and uh you know and then you know a week or two after their visit to after their visit to d c he announced that he was joining the caucus Wow and so you know we can change you know politicians are human beings you know they mm. have pressures they have priorities they're not you know good or evil they you know like all like the rest of us they're a mix of a little bit of both, and mm-hmm. you know, some of them are really trying to do the right thing and figuring out how, and we can help them. You know, we can help them do that. So that gives me a lot. That gives me a lot of hope. Now we need to see, you know, the caucus actually propose some solutions and and live up to its name and and move forward with it. But that gives me a lot of hope. Um, you know, in Colorado, we've seen work that working with the utility with Excel Energy has and you know and the environmental groups and. And and the Public Utilities Commission, we're getting to a point where there's a solution for the utility to increase the amount of energy that it carries, the renewable energy that it carries. Mm-hmm. Um, That's amazing because
0: there's so much extraction being done here in Colorado.
1: Yeah, and agree to you know, and agree to shut down uh, power plants. a lot of people don't know this, but most energy decisions in this country, uh, when it comes to distribution and sourcing, not to extraction, are made by public utility commissions.
0: Okay.
1: The key, the key word in that term is public. Right, and so public utility commissions will regularly hold public hearings Uh or be open to public comment from the public, from citizens. The people. So showing up to those hearings, being informed, being informed about when those hearings are happening and what decisions are being made, is incredibly important.
0: That's a really good point. So where can people go to find where to be informed, where to show up to, um, in all of these? the confusion
1: yeah so you know for public utility commissions work uh you i would just google you know your uh your locality anywhere in the country and who your utility is and then find out who the public you know who your public utility commissioners are and when they're holding hearings that's all is there a typical time of
0: year or is there um, Uh, it's
1: usually when decisions are being made so they happen regularly okay they're pretty regular uh you know we are doing work in utah colorado so you can contact Protect Our Winters for information about Wyoming, that kind of work about in Utah, Colorado, and Wyoming and Nevada.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Can you share any of the stories of going to schools and and seeing the, what's come of visiting there?
1: Yeah. So um, you know, we made a film that was actually showcased here. here called Dear Mr. President. And uh, it's, you know, it's a series of kids talking about climate change. and
0: Thanks, Q, the uh, filmmaker.
1: Yep. Thank mm-hmm. Huge shout out to Q on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what we see at schools is that kids get it. Absolutely. You know, they, absolutely they absolutely get and it. And they
0: have a lot less to lose than their parents or their teachers yeah. uh, in, in speaking out
1: and they have few much fewer inhibitions and mm-hmm. so what we've seen is you know actually uh, claire gallagher who's one of the pow athletes she's a trail runner um you know she's been going out in colorado and getting you know and getting her kids you know kids at the presentations to uh, to call their elected representatives you know to call cory gardner and just tell them that they that they care about this mm-hmm. and that, that this is an issue that they find that they find is important so to me the you know, the, the huge story of success is the fact that once you, once you lay it out, they pick it up, mm-hmm. you know, and when and, we think about. And when about we
0: believe in them, they are so powerful. Oh yeah. One of my only regrets as a, as a young kid is I was more active in second and third grade environmentally than my entire life because I, I was told I could do anything and I believed it. And I was having bake sales and fundraisers literally in third grade before I could even cook for the rainforest and the whales. Um, and then the adults actually, uh, just didn't take me seriously and it made me take myself less seriously. Um, and I got pushed into skiing and, and that's what I did. Hmm. Um, but I also looked at the political, I, I assumed I would go into politics, uh, to try and make a difference there. And when I looked at it, it seemed so corrupt, even for a third grader, I remembered being so awake and so aware that I felt like i couldn't I couldn't make a difference there and honestly, that is why I decided the best difference I could make was on behalf of with the voice of an athlete and an artist. and like you said, I've believed ever since that the people who really make change are the cultural leaders, yeah, and so I will do everything that I can um with the skill set that I have and I hope everyone listening whatever that skill set that they have or even within the office that they work in um, to make the little bit of change you can where you are
1: yeah absolutely couldn't agree more
0: awesome um, anything yep. else any other calls to action that that you'd like to share
1: uh, come check us out come check out our website protectourwinters.org and and you know Start small progress over perfection.
0: Love it. Thank you. Progress over perfection. Just
1: turn your passion into purpose.
0: Love it. All right, enjoy the rest of the weekend. Thank Congratulations you. on becoming a US citizen and a and a father <laughs> soon.
1: Yeah, yep. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, and thanks uh thanks for having me. It's it's been great. I'm yeah. I'm glad we I'm glad we made it happen. I know we've been trying for a yeah. couple of times, so Yeah. I'm glad we made it happen.
0: Thank you. Appreciate your uh speaking in English for me. <laughs> Bringing it down to my level <laughs> Thank you all for listening. And thank you to Mario for taking the time to sit down with me for this conversation and share some of his wisdom. Progress over perfection. It's definitely a mantra for our times. If you enjoyed the conversation, give us a review on iTunes, spread the word, and be sure to subscribe. We've also set up a Patreon account where you can become a sustaining patron of the show and help us continue to share these conversations. If you'd like to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash showing up. It really supports the show as do you sharing this episode with your friends. Thanks so much, see you in the mountains.